0: This podcast is intended for a mature audience. If you are under 18 years of age, please come back when you are to enjoy our content. The information, opinions, and stories shared in this podcast are for educational purposes only. The content creators are not certified sex therapists or counselors and rely heavily on experts. Come explore, learn, and grow with us. You today? Did you have a good week?
1: I had a good week. How about yourself?
0: Oh, it was frigid, freezing, where I am. But yes, it was a good week.
1: Well, you know, you do live somewhere where it gets cold. I don't know why, but uh, I mean that—that's your choice. You—you—you you, you made it.
0: I know and what. Those you, are the consequences. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But don't don't you go thinking I'm climbing out of my igloo. I know what you Americans think. There's no igloos.
1: Um, well, I, I certainly hadn't seen one when I've, when I've been in Canada, but I'm not ruling it out. I just, I mean, Canada is a very large country. So <laughs> just because I haven't seen it doesn't mean it's not out there.
0: Large and cold, that it is. But yeah, no, it was a good week and I was excited to talk to you today.
1: Likewise. I thought I'd give you a little bit of whiplash with uh, today's topic. But uh, before we do that, I, I thought we need to do a little bit of follow-up from the last episode, just in case.
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah. In the last episode, I shared that I laughed too much during role play and that it wasn't really for me, but I was informed that I told the story a little wrong. See, Hubby came walking up after he listened to the episode and he wanted to make sure that everyone knew, you know, all our beta listeners and new followers, that in that scenario that I spoke about, I was actually dressed like a sexy teacher. I just happened to be in like teen kind of clothing and that it was more of a Dom persona that I was playing in because I supposedly made it sound like he was trying to fuck a teenager, which is so, so not for us.
1: Okay. I see the backpedaling beginning very fiercely and very quickly. That's I didn't,
0: okay. I didn't think by this episode so soon in, I'd be like reprimanded and told like, oh, you got to go back. What's it called when you, when the newspapers put out a retraction? yeah that's uh, what correction
1: I th- retraction yeah I, this seems like more of a correction retraction is this never even happened but um <laughs> well
0: um, uh, he thinks people are going to think that so, and I said no 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 what I was trying to get them to focus on was me and how you know uh, role play is just not for me and I explained to him further that you know I giggle and that's the part that he didn't really like in the role play was the giggling but I in real life I giggle and I smile at inopportune times when I'm nervous You know, at funerals, places you shouldn't be smiling, but it's a very big part of why I can't do role play. So I was going to quickly spin it back to you. How are you with role play, Alex? We just shared about me.
1: Oh, I am terrible with role play because I am very much like uh, almost like a method actor and I really like get into the character And it makes people who are not taking it as seriously uncomfortable and they start giggling and I keep trying to push through despite the fact that they're giggling and I'm very aware of it. And the whole thing just gets really awkward. So, yeah, that's that's not that's not necessarily for me. It's uh, maybe
0: maybe we need to do an episode just on role playing where we could get like tips and tricks, you know, suggestions from people to, to like make her role play a little more. I don't know, enjoyable or believable. What do you think? Yeah.
1: Yeah, if only there was a email address where people could volunteer to do that. Something oh, like oh, yeah. talking, something like Talking Kink with Alex and Ellie at gmail.com, all one word. If if yeah. that if that was out there, that would be um that would be great if people could to take the hint.
0: Yep. Yep. Be part of that one percent, right, Alex?
1: <laughs> yes, be part of that one percent. Amazing things happen when you become part of that particular one percent.
0: A great um, club to belong to. But honestly, yes. what? Yeah, like, what do you have planned for us today? What are you gonna throw at me?
1: Today we're gonna talk about sex in space.
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, here comes that nervous giggle. What? Okay, no, no. What?
1: Okay. So this is so this is actually a taboo topic for researchers and for the space community. But nevertheless, it's an incredibly important topic when it comes to things like space exploration and medicine and science because it has to do with basically the future of humanity. So if people are thinking that all we're going to do here is we're going to talk about, you know, the kinks and taboos that they can Google in about 15 minutes, uh-uh, uh-uh. We're going to go to places that there have been. That's why the that's what the bio for the podcast is, baldly going where no sexed podcast has gone before, we're doing that right now. We're doing that literally.
0: Uh, okay, yeah, I'm. You've almost got me speechless, and my hubby would say that's rare. Are are we talking about like virtual sex, like in the movie Demolition
1: Man? Like, no, not at all. We're talking about actual sex in the vacuum of space and potentially on other worlds like the Moon and Mars.
0: Okay, but. Do you think we could visit the topic of AI and artificial sex and kink later, maybe?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've actually done quite a bit of research on that, as well as kind of just part of some AI topics that one could research in grad school. So, yeah, it, it does get really interesting. And we definitely should talk about it, especially with things like ChatGPT and chatbots becoming more advanced by the hour um and also having some very weird side effects that we see already so we'll definitely get back to this topic but the topic in question now the question of sex and space is just so expansive that we actually need to back up to the whole idea of what's like what's even the point of discussing this
0: so you want to talk about the future of humanity and the definition of life that sounds a bit heavy
1: Yes, and and it is, but we're going to get through it relatively quickly because there's just a couple of really basic things we need to remember before we go forward, but those sure. basic things are critically important. So when it comes to the question of life, scientists don't really have a coherent, cohesive definition of life. It's still very hotly debated. For example, with viruses, we don't know if viruses technically are alive or not because Yeah, they have some of the processes of life, but not others. But the one thing that every scientist agrees on is that life perpetuates itself. It passes on hereditary information in one way or another, and that begets new life. Life is self-propagating. That's the one definition of life that no one at all will debate. On Earth, we do that in a molecule called RNA for simpler organisms and DNA for more complex organisms like ourselves. So, and the the D in DNA is deoxyribose, which is a type of sugar. And interestingly enough, on other planets you could have, or even on other environments on Earth that we have not discovered yet, although that is very, very unlikely, you could have other sugars take the place of deoxyribose, for example, one sugar that a lot of scientists have been experimenting with in the lab is called tetros. So instead of DNA, they've created TNA. Huh?
0: Hmm? <laughs> it's an ass. Oh, look at how you did that. No, yeah.
1: Not? no, 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 no. That, okay. that, um, <laughs> but, but that is, but that is actually true. You can look all of this up and all of this is, is completely a hundred percent true. Um, also We reproduce sexually, obviously, and the reason why we do that is because sexual reproduction gives us a lot more chances to mix genes up. Organisms that uh, reproduce asexually evolve is they count on enough mutations to be lucky enough through their evolutionary lineage to adapt to the environmental challenges that are thrown at them. And with sexual reproduction, you can do it a lot faster because you're mixing a lot more genes a lot faster because you have multi-parental lineages. So if someone says that they're old as fuck, what they really mean is they're 2 billion years old and they're talking about the beginning of the Proterozoic era. So that's when sexual reproduction evolved. And this is where the whole question of space and sex in space comes in. We We know that humanity has to learn how to exist beyond earth if we really want to be successful over the long term because the so longer say, we st- yeah yeah the longer we stay around the more likely we're going to get hit by a comet or there's going to be a virus that wipes us out um it's not like we've had an example of a pandemic that rushed through the entire no. world with us being poorly prepared that's <laughs> not that's not in our minds at all i didn't catch it twice <clears throat> <laughs> And in order to do that, we need to learn how to live off of Earth. But the problem is that if we can't have children outside of the Earth, Mm -hmm. if we can't have children on the moon, if we can't have children on Mars, if we can't have children in space, what's the point? We'll just be a dead end. We'll just be an evolutionary bottleneck. So that's why a lot of space agencies – will say, okay, we don't discuss the topic, but actually, actually, it would be really great if we could figure out how we could reproduce in space and how people could have sex in space and do that successfully and have children and raise families and figure out ways of actually having good sexual, mental, emotional, intimate relationships on all these missions that are going to last many many years or potentially even generations or potentially their entire lives and this is like a big thing that we actually really need to understand before we start exploring other worlds.
0: Okay, hey, hold yeah, other slow down, Mr. scientist. You know, I'm an educated woman, but as you're talking about outer space, and you're talking about life on possibly on another planet, like I'm sorry, I'm a child of the 80s. Like are you talking the Jetsons? Or, or like the movie the uh Wally?
1: Yeah, basically.
0: That coming to be real. I mean, my brain just can't even go there. You're going to have to help me, Alex.
1: Sure thing. So, this is the this actually is uh, a great way to highlight also why it's important to talk about sex as a thing just in general and why Mm -hmm. we should normalize talking about it because we we owe our existence to sex and sexual reproduction like it's wired in our biology our cultures have always craved it and celebrated it and experimented with it refined it you know you had even the most brutal crackdowns and repressions against sex and sexuality over uh a great deal of the past few thousand years, and yet it's impossible to completely shut down the conversations, the desire, the experimentation. In in this is because we're wired to reproduce. We're literally, we function better in all aspects in terms Hell of yeah. cognition, in terms of cognition, <laughs> in terms of emotional health, in terms of mental health, in terms of our immune system. We even live several years longer if we have a good, healthy sex life. And this is also why pretending that celibacy or production is just somehow more moral and more ethical and somehow get us closer to the universe and the creation are just so deeply and fundamentally misguided. Like it's basically spinning in the face of science and facts and literal mountains of peer-reviewed studies that tell us very much the opposite. When we when we embrace our sexual side, when we embrace our experimental side, when we it, when we embrace our reproductive side, we understand a lot more about our health and about our future. So that brings us right back to sex and space. Sex and space. Mm-hmm. There have been rumors. Where? Like, what do you mean, rumors? Like, people have talked about this. And I mean, like, there have been some like Who's officials. Talking? Some officials have said certain things and some people that may have been involved in some of these space programs. And obviously, there's some hoaxes on the Internet. Can't but there believe have been, everything. Yeah, but there have been some some actual, you know, credible individuals who have said that NASA and, Rosco- and Ros- Roscosmos, the Russian space agency, mm-hmm. um, may have experimented with sex in space by having astronauts engage it during missions. But but it should be told that both agencies absolutely deny that this has ever happened. Uh, they will tell you that this is, this is absolutely not true. There has been, funny enough, a married couple in space on um, the International Space Station during the um, Space Shuttle Endeavour mission, STS-47, in 1992. And that was Mark Lee and Jan Davis. They married shortly before the mission and didn't tell NASA. So they couldn't find a substitute quickly enough. And they said, OK, well, I guess you're going to space, but never do that again. And also no married couples on the space station. Oh, yeah. And yet and yet and yet one of the big things that NASA will tell you is that, oh, if we send people to Mars or if we send people to the moon or if we send people into deep space, we actually would prefer to have married couples or couples in relationships so it can be a little bit more normal so you're not just dealing there with strangers that you're actually feel like you have a family and we think that would really help mental health and there have been a number of studies where they basically simulate a mission to mars on earth like they basically lock people up in the in the spaceship somewhere in the desert and say, okay, this is this is the mission. And they've observed that without that that stimulus, mm-hmm. people were getting angrier, crankier, they made more mistakes, they felt bored, they felt trapped, um, they felt confused, they had a regular sleep pattern. So there were a lot of unpleasant side mm-hmm. effects. Of basically being dangerously understimulated and away from family and from intimacy for very extended periods of time. That you know, on Earth, in an analog mission, that's one thing, but a couple hundred million miles from Earth where you have no escape mm, can get a little bit dangerous. So, NASA official policy says no married couples in space, but unofficially, as they're planning for the future, they're saying mm, we should probably have married couples in space and people in relationships in space. And maybe we should try and facilitate how to make some, uh, some magic happen up there.
0: Well, and it sounds like the research kind of needs to go that direction. So why aren't these agencies like getting on board?
1: Politics.
0: Ah, okay. Damn politics. But is sex in space, like in a spaceship, is that even possible?
1: We don't know. That's the thing. Yeah. We're not, we're not a hundred percent Sure. Because, okay, I actually do believe the idea that, no, they may have talked about trying it, but they've never actually tried it in space. And here's why. First of all, spaceships are really small and cramped. I don't know if you've seen one up close, like in a museum or something of that nature, but they really optimize for every single cubic inch.
0: Inch of space, yes.
1: So it's going to be really Did you say cubic or pubic? No, I said cubic. <laughs> although, yeah, that's that's, that's also where my mind's concern. going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, see, now I'm thinking about you know trying to trim yourself in space. Like that's <laughs> gonna be because you're just gonna have hair floating everywhere because it's not gonna fall down. Oh
0: well, let, let's just talk Ugh. about gravity or the lack of gravity. I mean, there's so many implications here.
1: Oh my. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So um, in space, in orbit, we have something that we call microgravity, but really it's just freefall. Like there's no, like the gravity is not really affecting us because we're, we're kind of traveling perpendicular to gravity. And the problem with that is that the human organs are really used to gravity. So to pump blood around our bodies, Um, for basic embryonic development, gravity is very important and it plays a lot of really critical roles that we still don't fully understand. So one of the things that a lot of physiologists have suspected is that getting an erection in space is going to be extremely difficult because your heart may not pump blood well enough to actually achieve erection. And that's going to be a problem. And it's also going to be a problem for women because you need the blood flow to the clitoris, you need the blood flow to the vulva in order to stimulate the production of natural lubrication. And we're not sure that's going to happen because we're not, we don't know how well the heart will work in that situation. Uh, Or at least maybe if we do know, that's not published anywhere. I could not find any peer-reviewed document, any peer-reviewed paper or anything that I could see as credible information where this has actually been studied. It's just not, it hasn't really been a priority. The priority has been testing equipment and trying to figure out how to make that equipment less complicated and more durable for longer missions. Mm -hmm. Um, So something like this is just falls way, way, way down the priority list.
0: Yeah. And for mentioning equipment, I mean, just talking about the spaceships alone makes me think of some of the worst sex I've had cramped in the backseat of a small car. Okay. We're talking about comfort. That's also needed during sex. Um, It also kind of makes me think of spaceships kind of being like a ride at the local fair. I mean, wouldn't we need spaceships that could like rotate to simulate that gravity and accelerate? Like this is your area.
1: Yes. So that's exactly it. That's exactly where we're going. Because there's an astronaut who was asked about this and he started laughing and said, like, imagine you're you have yourself and your seven and your seven friends and you're in a camper van and two of them decide to have sex right in the middle of the of the road trip. Come on. That's just going to be awkward for everybody. And yeah, he's, I think he's absolutely right. And the way that you described it as like, this reminds you of your worst experience. I mean, same, same teen horny teenager in the backseat of a car, not, not Crank. my best experiences ever exciting, but definitely not fun.
0: And it also reminds me of the first time a boy, I think it was like 12 years old, asked me to go on a ride at the local fair. And I was strapped into a cage that was spinning on its own axis. And it was on a Ferris wheel type of frame that also was spinning, but in a counterclockwise direction and damn well near made me barf. So is that what it would feel like to be in a spaceship having sex in outer space?
1: I ideally know because <laughs> part of the problem is that the radius is really short and also you're fighting against Earth's gravity in that kind of centrifuge. Okay. So if you have a longer radius, it doesn't have to spin nearly as quickly to simulate some percentage of gravity. Um, and that's kind of where we're going. So you have these hmm. essentially donut-shaped or even UFO-shaped ships that rotate around. And I say UFO ships to maybe protect them from solar flares. They have like a nice shield on top of the moving parts to protect from dust, debris, collisions, solar flies. You can basically just turn the thing to – and and when the solar flows or magnetic storm hit, you have that nice shield to deflect. So something like that, that would be much better for yeah. humans. That would be much better for reproduction and so on and so forth, which actually gets us into idea of things like orbital hotels. But we'll visit that in just a second because there is one more way to create gravity – which I do want to mention, but I do also uh-huh. want to mention that is incredibly difficult, and we're not sure that we can make it work with our existing technology. So, okay. that way is to keep the spaceship accelerating at 9.8 meters per second per second. Basically, every second, make it go 9.8 meters per second faster. Okay. That's because that will match Earth's gravity.
0: Ah, okay.
1: So, basically, you would be pressed into the floor of the spaceship as it's traveling faster and faster. The only problem is we need to keep pumping more and more accelerant out. And at that point, there's a whole lot of math that says this is really problematic to do unless you have either incredibly efficient fuel, like you have just an enormous amount of antimatter that you can either produce on the fly or you can pack in, or you just know how to break the laws of physics and keep your spaceship accelerating forever until it kind of hits 99.9% the speed of light and then just can't go any faster, but you still feel that acceleration and you'll still kind of have that, have that sensation. Like you're on earth and, and all the gravity will work exactly like you intended to. So we don't know how to do that because we don't have the current, the technology currently to do no. that. We know we would, we know how to do that for very short periods of time using ion engines, um. And that's about it. Like we can't, we can't simulate that yet, but maybe sometime yeah. in the very far future, we'll figure something out or maybe, but at that point we might figure out some way to create quantum gravity or something like that, which is, which actually is a real thing, but we just don't know how it works yet. It's the the whole, like where quantum physics meets gravity. Yeah. Um, it's a whole, it's a whole thing that I'm not going to go into because that, You're already blowing my my mind
0: here. Yeah, you're already blowing my mind. And I want to get back to the sex in space. Particularly, I want to talk about masturbation in space. Do you think that people might not have done sex, but have any of those astronauts masturbated while they were up there?
1: Uh, Okay, well, this is my personal opinion, but yes. (laughs)
0: Like as an opinion by a man with? hormones.
1: And, yes. Yeah. Although it's going to be really difficult because if, you know, the, you, there's no hiding it it's yes. very, or rather it's very, it would be very difficult to hide it because the, the semen would just float right up and you'd have to try and figure out how to capture it. Um, I, I, I feel like on some of the longer missions on the space station, someone must've done it.
0: Mm -hmm. And isn't
1: there a rumor somewhere that someone did do that? Or at least was kind of given the chance to?
0: Uh, It's beyond me. I'm going to have to Google it as we're talking here. I mean, where would I even go to look for that kind of information? I I think there was a website, vice.com. There was a paper with a NASA advisor. Is that the one you're referring to?
1: That that was one of them. Yes. So that one talked about...
0: Effects of sex, and gender, and adapting to space, right?
1: Yeah, basically, it was essentially just trying to say, like, hey, if you want people to have sex in space, you have to understand what happens when radiation hits them, mm-hmm. and what's going to happen to them if they spend a long time in outside of Earth's gravity. And but because I think, that's,
0: I think there was a part though biologically in that in that. Uh, article that said that ejaculation was essential for men because it was a way for them to avoid the risk of bacterial buildup in their prostate, which could then lead to different types of infections.
1: Yes. And it can also lead, they can also lead to inflammation, which will increase the risk, the risk of prostate cancer. So there's, there's that too. Plus you're in a high radiation environment, which will increase your risk even further. But no, there was a, actually... Uh, What I was talking about, and this is a little bit more gossipy, Okay.
0: um,
1: there was a diary of a Soviet cosmonaut who claimed that he was being given porn movies and basically told, like, if you really need to, like, relieve yourself in space, you're fine to go for it. Um, Ah. Yeah, he also said that apparently his superiors encouraged him to pack an inflatable doll. (laughs) to take out his frustrations on um i i don't mm, i mean the 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 thing about that is i don't know if i believe it because mir is tiny teeny teeny tiny comparison with the international space station um that sex doll would have taken up way too much room so again they
0: had to have had a reason for them to suggest it and why all this is being leaked out like how many months was he away
1: Fourteen. Okay. Yeah, the the, the average
0: guy go fourteen months
1: so um you know what honestly I don't know I've never tried I can't I can't possibly tell you that I would say that I mean under extraordinary circumstances if you're constantly distracted, you can go without it for a very long time yeah. and forget all about it but at some point at some point
0: yeah well I think in that article it said that he was actually opposed to it.
1: Yeah, he probably was opposed to it for the same reasons I I mentioned. It would be just really awkward and it would be really convoluted and complicated. And I guess unless you're really into some sort of really exciting exhibitionism with uh, a non-human toy, then this is probably just not going to go well for you.
0: Yeah. Well, back to like the demand for research and looking far into our future, there's got to be some uh, researchers out there demanding for more research into the consequences of sex in space, right?
1: Yeah. And there are definitely uh, people out there who've even tried to figure out like how would the mechanics work? Because, I mean, let's let's keep in mind that, you know, in in microgravity, the Newton's third law of motion rules everything. So one little bump, one little nudge, and your partner potentially goes flying across the station, um, which would be really awkward. You I mean, like, talk about – forget the walk of shame. you got the flight of shame.
0: <laughs> okay. So what is it called, though? In the airplane, it's the Mile High Club. I wonder if we Googled what we would find out, like, what is it called when you would have sex up space? Someone must have done a paper on this or, or started thinking about this already, right?
1: Uh, someone, someone must have actually, believe it or not, there was a company that wanted to shoot porn in space and actually tried to contract, um, Virgin Galactic of all companies, (laughs) of all companies. They wanted to, they wanted to contract Virgin Galactic to shoot porn in space. And, of course, they they didn't get the chance to actually do that because, again, politics, PR, optics, that sort of thing. But, again, this is one of those things where, yeah, people scoffed about it and were kind of laughing about it. But it's still really important. People are going to do that, especially, you know, there's all sorts of uh, companies trying to open space hotels. And I don't know about you, but something happens to me when I get into, like, a really, really nice hotel with – my partner or my spouse, and we're relaxed and we feel good and we're on an adventure, and we may have done some fun things and we may have had a really nice, exciting evening.
0: Boom, chicka wow, wow. <laughs> like, are you talking like space tourism meets like a kinky night of
1: sex? I would be amazed if that wasn't going to be the case. You know, you, you have people who are going to be tourists and this is what they do on vacations anyway. Why wouldn't they want to do that on a space vacation? But the problem is there's no research as to what will actually happen. And there is there is actually, though, some research that indicates that if they try to get pregnant in space, because that could be like, hey, you were conceived in orbit, like that would be a really cool story to tell a kid, but there may be some malformations with the mm-hmm. embryo because there's not appropriate gravity during the pivotal moments of development. Although mm-hmm. we don't know that for mm-hmm. a fact either. We don't know if it matters in the first couple of days or couple of weeks of pregnancy. Um, mm-hmm. We know it's going to matter in the first couple months, but we don't know. And then beyond that, we don't know either. So again, it's, it's there's a lot of research there that needs to be done. I also want to be very clear that there has been some research on non humans reproducing in space. So there have been experiments on jellyfish where jellyfish oh. were yeah, they were allowed to essentially reproduce and develop. And then they developed more or less fine. And then you brought them back to Earth, they had vertigo basically. They were having so much trouble orienting themselves because they're developing
0: jellyfish. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because during development, the signals that that tell them what's up and what's down were completely messed up, or at least that's that's the theory so so far. So like the the same calibration that we'd expect in our inner ear was all messed up. So that's what we would expect from that. That's what we think we learned from that experiment. That if you have a human develop in space their inner ear would be all wobbly and they would basically come to earth and they'd act like they're completely drunk and wouldn't be able to find their up and down. and find So I'm, in,
0: I'm envisioning a bunch of toddlers that are learning how to walk and are wobbly. It's not a far stretch from what already happens, but I wonder what that would actually look and feel like for them.
1: Oh, no, that'd probably be even more wobbly than usual. And they probably yeah. fall down a lot while they kind of regain their balance um, and try and kind of relearn how to understand the new gravity for Gravity,
0: them. yeah. And are jellyfish the only things that have been experimented on, you think?
1: No, there have also been rats um, that have been taken during the critical stage of pregnancy and, and gestational development. They did develop a little bit faster And they seem to be okay, and when they were brought down to Earth, again, they had to kind of relearn the motor skills, but they seem to be fine. But that's also not to say that just because in these experiments it turned out okay means that a human growing for nine months would be okay. These are fairly fast-developing, fast-lived species. If you have a human in a high-gravity environment, the exposure is so, so, so much longer. So it's going to be much more dangerous and it's going to be much more complicated and much more time consuming to do the research on a human. On top of that, it is probably unethical because you would expose them to well above safe levels of radiation. Um, mm-hmm. because technically there, there is no safe level of radiation. There's only a tolerable level of radiation out there. Um, so that's really the big concern. We don't know what things can go wrong when you have a much longer gestational process, and it's probably very cruel to try. What that tells us is it is possible that if someone were to conceive in space, should be okay. But if they try to stay in space for an extended amount of time, While pregnant, some things might go really, really wrong because there has been, one of the things that has been seen in rats is there was a bias towards female rats for some bizarre reason that we haven't quite figured out. Their neonatal mortality was also higher. So there is a higher risk of a miscarriage or a stillbirth or a complication Mm -hmm. that we think is due to radiation. And, of course, there may be other things that are played in uh, by the absence of gravity. So, again, a lot more research needs to be done. A lot more research is getting done in that field, just not on humans.
0: Yes, well, and I just typed in the word space tourism because those words caught my attention. And the first person that comes up is a professor, um, David Cullen. He wrote a book called Beyond the Mile High Club. And he actually wrote that he believes that him and his colleagues believe that in space, the companies haven't adequately prepared for the consequences of people joining what would then be called. Now, what is this? You're going to have to help me. The Carmen Line Club. What is that?
1: So, the Carmen Line is the name for the official beginning of space. It's about 60 to 62 miles up, and it varies based on the condition of the atmosphere because the our atmosphere is kind of like a fluid. It sometimes kind of rises and falls in waves. Okay. So, but in general, 60 miles or so is what people say is the Karman line.
0: Hmm. But yeah, we're talking out in and among, amongst the stars here. Uh Let's go back to our first few episodes where we talked about monogamy and non-monogamy. I mean, do you think monogamy is in it, in our future? in the stars?
1: I would say yes and no, because we have to point out that, you know, if we're talking about settling other worlds, if we're talking about going to potentially other planets around other stars, first and foremost, I want to note that we're not going to do that for thousands of years. There's Mm -hmm. just so much technology that needs to be invented. There's just so much time that we're going to need to spend getting up to speed. So many resources we'll have to uh, be able to create very easily and, and on demand that we can barely even understand right now as we sketch them. Mm-hmm. So, we're talking thousands of years in the future. So, I just want to make sure that we're very okay, clear. That about helps
0: that. me. That helps me. It, it's not when I'm 75 and retired and on a spaceship to Mars. Okay.
1: Yeah. What you're going to have is if you're sending a mission to another planet orbiting another star. You basically into small some sounds something like the equivalent of a small town, a hundred thousand to twenty-five thousand people, and you need to do that because anything smaller than that will create genetic bottlenecks for that particular population.
0: Hold on, did you say a hundred thousand people is a small town?
1: No, okay. ten thousand to twenty-five thousand people.
0: Okay, I heard you wrong. Ten thousand. Okay. Where I'm from, a small town is more like five or ten thousand, but I know you're in a bigger area and a bigger country. So um you'd have to send up that many people. Wow. Yeah.
1: It's it's essentially for genetic diversity. It becomes okay. really, really, really important because otherwise what you get is you get something called the island effect where your resources are very limited your gen- your genetics are very limited and that tends to stunt growth and make disease a little bit more virulent it makes evolution more difficult um, so you definitely want to give people the best options the the more genetic possibilities humans have as as they're traveling to their new world the better it is for them and all, and also you want to get them there as quickly as possible so you're going to you're also going to want to build things that involve antimatter and antimatter-assisted propulsion. That's going to have a lot of radiation that you're going to need to defend people against. So you need to, so there's a lot of things that are happening, but if you want them to be able to withstand it and involve more adaptations and the genetic bottlenecks, you just need a very large population of people. That just all goes so, to it.
0: So my imagination is going from what I know and what I was raised with of the story of the big boat and where they put the animals on two by two and there was to humans and you're now talking about a massive spaceship with 10 to 20,000 people on it instead.
1: Yeah, and that's like the minimum. That's okay. like the absolute bare minimum. Ideally ideally what you'd also want is you want people traveling between those different planets out between different stars and yeah. have that genetic variety introduced and spread around because that's the like evolution so the whole idea that evolution is survival of the fittest is a really dumb idea that was actually suggested by a person who had nothing to do with genetics or biology or evolution. It does not come from, from Darwin. Mm-hmm. So that actually comes from Herbert Spencer, who, who, was... Was, a, who was a sociologist and anthropologist. So he this was basically his understanding of what Darwin meant by survival of the fittest. But really what Darwin meant by survival of the fittest is whoever is most fit to survive in a particular evolutionary niche. He didn't necessarily mean that you know you have this hierarchy and there's this, competition of where only where life is somehow ranked that's that's not at all what he was talking about evolution is actually kind of like the hippie of religions you take as many genes as possible and you mix them all up and all sorts of really cool stuff happens and a lot of it doesn't work out but the stuff that does is going to be great because it's going to mix with more stuff and it's going to involve more is going to evolve more things so yeah and it's uh, very... what a
0: hell of a ride in the meantime we're in the process
1: right yeah, exactly. And that's that's basically exactly what what he was positing. So what worth so what you're thinking then is if you have essentially towns that are yeah. being launched into space full of astronauts who basically need to create a whole bunch of new explorers as part of their mission, maybe they're going to say, you know, having one partner and trying to have as many children as I can with one partner may not be good enough for genetic variety. Maybe I need Mm -hmm. to spread my genes around and their partners may be be thinking the same things. Um, You can also consider that if you're far away from earth, there's less connection with tradition and the typical morals and the typical ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, society on Earth might be super pure, super puritanical because they can be. Mm-hmm. And we also need to f- remember that monogamous marriage on Earth as we know it today is really about inheritance, making sure that your progeny is really your progeny and they can inherit your money and your property and your goods. Mm-hmm. But in space, that's not really going to matter because nope. everyone's going to be working. People are going to be constantly busy because they're trying to survive in space. They're trying to settle on a new planet. Living on a frontier is difficult. Everyone's going to need to pull their weight. And mm-hmm. so this whole idea of, oh, you will meet your one mate, your soulmate for your entire life. They may think of it as just absolute hokum that it's not like it's not in any way conducive to the kind of world in which they live so i would think maybe things like sex cults and default Mm. poly and and polyamory might become default and they may use it as a way to cope with stress you know kind of like bonobos do so like like, monkeys chimps well apes bonobos are different yeah bonobos are different bonobos are are apes they are our evolutionary cousins they are cousin evolutionary cousins to chimpanzees as well but one of the things that they're famous for is they settle all of their arguments with sex
0: oh hello that's kind of like yeah. the don't go to bed angry kind of thing like they've got it
1: nipped they, they do it exactly and now i don't know if you would have that constantly going on in space but if you have on on some of these ships then maybe the culture like hey you maybe you just need to you know go get laid and stop being so stressed out
0: nice Because,
1: because again, you know, you don't have that whole utility, you don't have that whole, this is my property, this is my stretch of land, because you don't, you don't, you just don't have that. And you're not going to have that, because that's not the culture on which you on which you landed on this new world. And you're essentially trying to settle and, and explore this new frontier. And That's just not going to be part of it is not going to be like, oh, I bequeathed this alien zoo to my one and only progeny who I know is my one and only progeny because I've only had sex once, you know, and that was the result. That's that's not how that is going to work. That's not actually how it worked on Earth either. So I think we're going to be just a little bit more honest. And and again, this this whole idea that everyone's going to be working. That also means you're not going to have, you know, trad wives on Proxima Centauri B. Like that's not going to be a thing. You're not going to be able to have someone who stays home and raises the children. You're going to have, yes, you're going to have teachers. Yes, you're going to have nannies. Yes, you're going to have uh, people who, who do childcare services, but that's going to be part of their job. Actual, a lot of people who are mothers and fathers are going to be working around the clock to basically keep the entire bubble alive.
0: So are you talking about evolving a totally new moral code?
1: Yes, completely new moral code, completely new moral compass, completely new society, completely new civilization. And when they're going to start talking to Earth again, they're going to clash. They're going to have very different values. They're going to have very different priorities. And a lot of them are going to be based around things like sex and reproduction and what you define as human. Because another thing that I need to throw in, another curveball I need to throw in, the humans that are going to be exploring space. Mm -hmm. and I mean really exploring space, beyond the solar system, are not going to be humans in our conventional understanding of it. There's going to be genetic engineering. they are going to be cyborgs. They're going to have implants, biomechanical implants. They're going to have all sorts of adaptations to survive the rigors of space and gravity. They may make more proteins to help repair their cells. We may engineer parts of, of things like um, tardigrades, the water bears that allow certain cells to crystallize when they're under attack by cosmic rays. So there's going to be, so they're going to be fundamentally different from humans still living on earth. And you add all of that up and you can actually get some very interesting things. Like, can you imagine you have a partner who can just swap out their genitals?
0: Oh, plug and play literally. Okay. Yes.
1: (laughs) like could be literally a conversation honey i can we use the bigger model today (laughs) oh
0: i think i need to uh, get me an astronaut but i also think i i need to do a little bit more research looking into this uh i think i'm gonna watch the movie solo tonight have you seen that movie
1: no i actually have not what it's about what is it about
0: star wars like han solo the story
1: oh 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 yeah new movie that just came out I'm I'm trying to pretend that nothing beyond the original trilogy existed. Okay. Well,
0: when I, when I when I think about it, I've only seen the trailer. Okay. So I'm gonna see it yet. Um, does I believe in the trailer? He actually has a relationship with his co-pilot, which is a cyborg, a robot.
1: I mean, cyborgs and robots are two different things. I need to let's 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 okay. define that. Really. A Quickly. robot okay. is a robot. It's a machine. A cyborg is a human with mechanical enhancements.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So, so the definition of a cyborg is they still have a human brain, human cognition, some of the human vital organs, like they're still human as we would, like, they may not be human and the exact same biochemical level as we are. And they may have they may think differently, but we would recognize them as human. And they would still Warm have lips, emotions. Soft
0: hips. Okay. Yep.
1: And they would still have the same kind of emotions and attachments that we would recognize because they are, at their core, still very much human.
0: So are you talking about surgically implanting multiple penises that people can even have group sex in space?
1: Well... That was in a novel called Hydrogen Sonata by Ian M. Banks. Oh. That's that's one of the ideas that he's raised. There was a character there that does exactly that. Surgically implanted multiple penises on themselves so he could have group sex at yeah. a kind of end of the world party.
0: Nice, nice. What does he do with the end of the party?
1: <laughs> he removes them. Okay. Puts back just the normal gear. Yep, exactly. So, But again, if this becomes a thing that people can just do, I can assure you there's going to be a lot of changes in how uh, the culture works around it because – Things like maybe things like body shaming is not going to be a thing because you can just change and customize your body. But if you mm-hmm. can change and customize your body, there's going to be debates about, well, what is the optimal body?
0: It's that n- it could be what you
1: want it to be. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so that's really why I'm talking about this is because it, it's kind of given us this opportunity to really open our minds and say, well, things are not things in the future are not going to be anything like they are today. Yeah, but the very but the one very very important part about it is that we're gonna need to reproduce, and in order to reproduce, we're gonna need to have sex. And if we're gonna if we're gonna need to reproduce a lot, we better enjoy the sex that we're gonna have. And also, because we're gonna be sending people to other planets and other stars and other and potentially who knows where in deep space, mm-hmm. we're gonna need to be prepared that they're going to have very different culture and very different views and very different opinions on everything. And that also involves sex and reproduction because you can, I can imagine you would have one planet where having as many kids as possible is basically the thing that you need to do. Like that is your purpose in life is to reproduce and seed the galaxy with humanity. And other planets that are much more pragmatic and say, look, we're going to need to slow down a little bit because... This is difficult. Like, for setting up all the infrastructure in place for new explorers takes a while. We can wait. We have time. Like, let's say we've we've expanded our lifespan to maybe you know 150, 200 years, Um, and in that time span we can have more kids. But that and that's and that's fine. Let's take this longer time to establish these to establish the necessary infrastructure. But back on the first planet, they're saying, no, 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 we'll figure it out as we go. We just need as many explorers as possible. We just need as much evolution among them as possible. And we need to see the stars.
0: And are you volunteering for one of the first trips? <laughs> Would you be in line?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, yes. But uh, I don't know if I'll make it that long. I, I mean, no. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm not that old, but I'm also not that young.
0: Yeah, I was just wondering about your motivation. I mean, you're you're obviously passionate about this subject, and I've thoroughly enjoyed talking about it with you today.
1: Well, I would just say that I'm passionate about the future because I think that if you work on certain things, it gives you a glimpse of what some of the question, big questions, and big debates of the future may hold. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of want to dive into them. And also, it's the engineering part. You want to solve the problem. You want to understand what you could do or what you could contribute or how, how things may be headed.
0: Mm-hmm. Crazy stuff. I mean, sometimes talking to you is uh, like talking to a therapist. I learn, I grow. And when I was growing up, there was a therapist who actually had a TV show. And uh, I doubt that she, it was on local radio, or uh, TV station. I doubt she did an episode on sex and space. She did it on sex toys and, you know, marriage and relationships and monogamy and how to put in a tampon and all that good stuff. But here I am on a podcast with a scientist who is going to take me where no other sex ed show has gone before, and I love it.
1: And I'm hoping we are going to cover some more topics that are going to give people a little bit of whiplash, but I think that there is something we should talk about next time. That will go hand in hand with what we just finished.
0: Oh, I know where you're going. But we're going to leave them hanging and wanting more. And I think they'll just have to come back for the next episode.
1: It's always good to tease a little bit. I think it builds up the anticipation.
0: I love it. I love it when you tease me. (laughs) I mean, wait, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I look forward to it and we'll talk to you next week. Goodbye, Alex.
1: Goodbye, Ellie. I hope that everyone who has been listening in or found along the way tunes in next week as well, because I might just have a couple announcements for them as well.
0: Oh, there you go, teasing them again. Yep. Okay. I hope they come back too. This will be exciting.
1: I think it will.